Hey everyone, Andrew Seeley here, and welcome back to Aircheck, a podcast produced by the WVU Alumni Association. My guest today is Eric Shipley. Eric received a couple of degrees from WVU and is now an engineer in Colorado. In this conversation, Eric and I talk about his experience as a student at West Virginia University, why he decided to climb each of the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado, also known as the 14ers, and how the Rocky Mountain Alumni Chapter has played an important role in his life. Don't forget, if you're not listening to this using our smartphone app, be sure to download the WVU Alumni app for exclusive benefits all around the country, and to stay up to date with everything happening right here at WVU. Please enjoy my conversation with Eric Shipley in this episode of AirCheck. Let's go. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure, Andrew. So I want to I wanna jump right in. We have a whole lot to talk about. You and I met just a couple of months ago. I was at the, the Rocky Mountain Chapter Beach Party, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later on. But for folks who don't know you, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? What do you do for a living, uh, and, and where do you live? Yeah, I'm in the uh, aerospace industry. I moved to Colorado 17 years ago. Um, the mountains of uh, Colorado drew me, uh, really were attractive to me to, to, as a place to relocate to after, after graduation in 2002. And uh, yeah, I work in the aerospace industry, as mentioned. I'm uh, really into any kind of a mountain adventure I can get into, whether it be skiing or hiking or climbing or any of the above. You are you are in the right in the right spot. That's for sure. So you grew up in West Virginia, though, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I grew up in, in Glendale, West Virginia, and uh, coincidentally enough, I grew up just down the street from uh, Brad Paisley. His uh, mom was our fourth grade school teacher. So, um, yeah, I'm a lot less famous than that person. <laughs> well, uh, at some point, maybe we'll get Brad on the podcast as well. But uh, <laughs> how did you decide to go to WVU? What was the what was your trajectory to being a, a student at West Virginia University? Sure. Yeah, my my dad was actually a graduate um, in pharmacy school in 1970, and uh, you know we always grew up around West Virginia athletics. Uh, basketball, football. I started going to football games in 1988. So I think most Mountaineer fans will look back on that as a pretty big year. So it was pretty easy to become a fan that year. So kind of stuck with it for, for life after that. And uh, yeah, I've uh, always wanted to be a mechanical engineer. And uh, so uh, West Virginia was an easy selection and uh, was able to get a, an excellent degree there and help segue me into my, uh, my current, current career in aerospace engineering. What was what was student life like for you back at WVU? What kinds of things did you like to do? Um, you know, what in your free time uh, when you weren't studying, which I know engineers don't have a whole lot of time that they're not in the library <laughs> or in the classroom. What kinds of activities did you get involved in? Yeah, certainly, and I, I probably could have been a better student, um, <laughs> but I I actually. I uh, was on the uh, rugby team at WVU for three years and uh, with one of my uh, fellow uh, Glendale friends and TJ Horton. And we, we played uh, rugby for, for the, for that time. We really had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the, the rugby team maybe wasn't known for their time in the library, but 
you know, met, met some life friends through, through that organization. And, you know, that was always fun. But when we weren't doing that, we, uh, we were out uh, skiing um, down in Canaan Valley and Snowshoe and other places like that. And we're just, you know, general hiking the Dolly Sods area. And that, that place is still really uh, special to me. And I, I want to take my wife down there and hike sometime, but in due time, but yeah, we were always uh, busy doing something around and uh, enjoying the mountains in West Virginia. Yeah, it sounds like you and I would have been good friends. It seems like when, when I was in an undergrad, we were always heading to Thomas or Davis or heading down towards Snowshoe and, and having an adventure for the weekend. So, um, yeah, excellent. Yeah. So, so you're graduating, you know, you're capping down at WVU. Did you know that the Rocky Mountains were calling and you had to get to Colorado? Or what was that, what was that move out west? Yeah, we, uh, my roommate and I at the time, Corey Nelson, and uh, we, we talked a lot about what we wanted to do after graduation and Colorado kept popping up. And, you know, John Denver, we, he influenced West Virginians a lot and sang about uh, West Virginia as well as uh, the Rocky Mountains. And for whatever reason, that kind of resonated with me. So I was always looking at pictures and reading things about the Rocky Mountains and so when Corey mentioned that he wanted to check it out after graduation, I said, yeah, I'm in, let's, let's go see it. And in uh, 1999, when we graduated, we drove out to Colorado and uh, we had a, just a wonderful time. We had a friend from back in West Virginia that had moved out here and really showed us a, a good time. We went through Rocky Mountain National Park and uh, did several uh, just really neat places, uh, Steamboat Springs and and I said, yeah, this place is this place is for me. I think I want to live there eventually. But you didn't you didn't move out there right away, is that right? That's right. Yeah, Corey stayed, and uh, and he's been here for 20 years now. But I basically chickened out and decided, well, I guess I'll stay and work um, at the coal mine, which is where that I uh, worked through summers and Christmas breaks to help put me through school. And then um, I did that for a year and I decided, man, eh, maybe I don't want to stay in the coal industry. It's a, it's a proud industry to be in, but maybe it just isn't for me. So decided to go ahead and uh, go back to school and uh, get my master's degree in mechanical engineering. So I, uh, I went back to Morgantown and uh, in two years finished that degree. And then as soon as that time was up, uh, the time was right to go ahead and make the move to Colorado. And you've been there ever since. Yeah, I've been here for uh, 17 years now. I'll tell you what, when I was when I was out there, when we were hanging out at the at the beach party, I could see how somebody could spend a good chunk of their life out there. That's for sure. But so you you yeah. one of the reasons we're talking today is because you picked up a pretty unique hobby. So we're going to start talking about the 14ers quite a bit. Uh, and for those who don't know what we're talking about when we say 14er, can you kind of give us an idea of, of the hobby that you ended up moving into? Sure. Yeah. There's uh, so the 14ers are uh, mountains that are 14,000 feet or higher uh, from sea level. So Colorado has uh, more than any other state in the lower 48. So there, there are several, I, I don't know the exact number of, 14ers, I think it's close to a hundred, but there's a list that is uh, recognized as either 54 or a list of 58 that are the known 14ers that basically uh, don't have saddles or other 
things that don't necessarily uh, qualify them as the, 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 the list of 14ers that the hikers or climbers or skiers recognize. So the list that I uh, went after was the, the list of 58. And, um, you know, it was just seemed like a, a fun goal at the time. I was always uh, never, I had always been into adventure, but never really set a goal as far as, uh, you know, climbing all the 14ers or mountain bike races or ski races. It was just kind of, I just enjoyed doing them at a, you know, a competitive level uh, with myself and, and friends, but not, not much more than that. But um, a good friend of mine, uh, Aaron Province, he, uh, he and I went to high, high school together. And then we, we uh, met back up in Colorado after basically not seeing each other for, for many, many years. But he had always had really big goals with uh, mountain bike racing or, or other adventurous things where he completed them. Being that I really enjoyed the outdoors and various things, I said, "Well, maybe the 14ers will be the uh, goal that I'll go after." So uh, after some time, I was able to make that my goal, and, and I finished it. So something I was proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So when you've got a list of 58 14,000 foot mountains in front of you, and you decide to check every one of those off your, you know, your bucket list how do you, how do you get started? Where do you know where to start? What kinds of equipment do you need? Is it, it seems like it would be daunting, uh, to, for somebody to just say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get out there and climb this 14,000 foot mountain, let alone 57 after that. So, you know, how do you get started in this? Right. So, yeah, I was certainly, uh, ill-prepared for the first one that I did. I think I showed up in shorts and a t-shirt and was uh, quickly uh, scolded that that was insufficient clothing. So the person that took me, let me borrow his jacket. And uh, because the, the temperature on top of those mountains is significantly cooler than, you know, where you start. So you're typically climbing over 4,000 feet or up to close to 6,000 for any, any one of the given days of hiking or climbing or skiing. So um, I learned quickly after that, that, I was definitely going to need some, some more, uh, uh, more appropriate, uh, gear. So, you know, hiking boots or shoes, um, ice axes, crampons, uh, mountaineering boots, um, helmets, uh, as mentioned, uh, rope at, at, at some occasions, um, skins for, uh, uphill skiing to access, uh, um, the, you know, the, the snow fields that when you would you, you ski up, you acquire these uh, devices called skins that, uh, that enable you to, to be able to, to do uphill skiing. And then when you're at the top, you take the skins off and then you can ski down. So that was, uh, uh, that's some of the, the, the basic gear. And then in addition to that, there are, um, one of the real important things is, you know, understanding the routes involved that, uh, understanding snow conditions, uh, weather patterns, you know, they can be very dangerous if there are uh, lightning storms that can roll in and they roll in very quickly at those elevations. Uh, so that's some of the, the general stuff. Yeah, sure. There's there's plenty of things on the packing list, that's for sure. Now, I'm sure some of them are much more difficult than others. Are there any that uh, somebody who 
you know, are there any that somebody could wake up and say, you know what, I'm thinking about going and, and climbing a 14er today, or is it something that folks need to train for and how difficult do they really get? Yeah. So, um, I guess going from the most difficult to start to the least, there are a handful that are, are quite difficult that require, um, each standard route of any of the 14ers tops out at about fourth class climbing. So none of the standard routes necessarily require uh, ropes or, or harnesses or anything like that. But um, what I did was some alternatives that um, did require some of that gear. So I, I challenged myself a little bit beyond just the, the standard um, easiest way approach uh, at times. Other times I did just do the standard routes, but so some of those uh, would include uh, Capital Peak. So there's a, you know, a feature on Capital Peak that's called the knife edge. And that's about 100 feet long, where it's literally like a, a knife blade that you have to scoot across. And there's uh, several hundred feet, if not a thousand, on both sides of that. So it's, it's uh, extremely committing that you, know, you definitely do not want to fall there. But in those cases, there's really nowhere that you could even rope up if you wanted to. You would have to have a, a partner. And basically, if you fell, your partner would have to jump off the other side of the, of the knife edge. But that, that definitely, I had a lot of anxiety on that one. That took a, <laughs> took a while to, to say I was ready to do that one. I, I wouldn't recommend that one as a, a, a first try. Um, it's not your starter then, route. Uh, no. And uh, the, the Maroon Bells is a very iconic uh, mountain 14ers just outside of uh, Aspen and uh, those are some of the most photographed mountains around people from all over the world come to see those mountains and they're beautiful and a uh, matter of fact just took my aunt and uncle and cousin and her husband out there last weekend and got a refresher on how how amazing they are but they look uh, amazing but they're very dangerous the rock is very loose and uh, they are nicknamed sometimes the, the deadly bells for, for obvious reasons. The, a lot of climbers have uh, unfortunately perished on those. But they're, you know, as in any climbing or skiing, big mountains, there, there's some risk involved in it. But, you know, the mountains are there, and, uh, and I must go, as John Muir once said. So um, the, the route that we took on that was uh, a very unique route that, um, I guess not unique, but it's an alternative route that basically links the two together and you do it in one, one swoop. The standard routes say that you go up and do one and you go down and then you go back up and do the other. But, uh, we did, uh, the, the link between the two, which required pretty, three pretty technical pitches to, um, to complete the, the traverse between the two. There were three, um, uh, five uh, plus uh, class um, pitches to climb to, to reach that and the rock is very loose so it, it was definitely some interesting moments there but it was pretty rewarding as well on the top okay. and one more difficult one I'll talk about is the little bear is uh, there's a feature on that that's called the uh, hourglass so when you're starting up the, the difficult climbing portion of that it it um, basically the whole top of the mountain is just really loose, but it funnels into this couar that um, basically uh, chokes down any rock fall above it. And when you do this particular route, there's no choice but to go through the hourglass. So 
it can be very uh, anxious moments getting through the hourglass. If any rocks would come down through, they have a couple thousand feet to gain steam and, you know, they're coming through there at a hundred miles an hour or more and you'd have no chance. So it, uh, it was anxious moments getting through that quickly. Uh, <laughs> Luckily yeah, none fell when I was going through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you are getting ready to climb a 14 or what does that day look like for you? What time are you waking up? What, what are you eating? What are you bringing with you? You know, what time are you getting home? Sure. It's uh it's a it's a bit subjective. Um the the more difficult ones, uh we definitely plan those out in more detail because once you're committed to um some of the you know, the Capitol Peaks, the Maroon Bells, the the uh Crestone Needles, the Little Bears, there's no real easy way to retreat. So you want to be up, and the rule of thumb is to, to be up and back off of the mountain below timberline before noon. It's just a general rule of thumb to beat any uh, potential thunderstorms that typically build in the Rocky Mountains during the afternoon. And uh, so as far as food, you know, just getting up and getting something on your belly to basically make sure you have energy starting out. And uh, I uh, take a handful of Cliff Bars. Um, fruit leathers, things like that, beef jerky, and actually uh, little Hershey bars as well. Um, those seem to be my my travel uh, fare for, of choice. And uh, electrolyte tablets for water, as much water as you uh, can take because you can get really dehydrated up there. Sunscreen as well. Sure. If, if mountaineers listening to this wanted to start, uh, relatively easy, but they thought, you know what, maybe 58 or maybe that's a few too many, but maybe I could tackle one or two when I head toward Colorado. Do you have any recommendations uh -huh. for, for where to start? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So last, uh, well, I guess it's been three years ago now, my two sisters, uh, Dana and Bria, which are also, uh, and their husbands are actually both, uh, West Virginia grads as well. And, and Dana Bria as well. But, um, I wanted to give them an adventure that wasn't necessarily one of the easiest ones, but a, you know, a little bit of a challenge for them. So uh, I, I settled on uh, Castle Peak. So that one is uh, graded as uh, I think a two plus. So it's not necessarily uh, climbing, but it's a lot of uh, big steps over rocks and also navigating around some ledgy areas that are exposed. So gives them a little bit of, you know, a, a, a taste of the adventure of what what's to come with some of the more difficult um, mountains uh, beyond that. And uh, Dana and her husband, Mark, completed it. Bria and Jeremy made it pretty far, but it was a little bit beyond their comfort zone. So they decided to turn around. But since then, they've indicated uh, interest in maybe getting some redemption on that. So that's probably a good entry into the intermediate difficult um, you know, one fourteen or to the tenth. Probably a few other that are around that same same kind of difficulty. Yeah, I might have to take take some of your advice, and next time I had your way, I'll I'll check those out for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So maybe a bit of an abstract question, but what do you think that you have taken from West Virginia and taken from your time at WVU that has helped you be successful? Maybe not 
only, you know, climbing big mountains, but in your career and as you've made your way uh, into a life in Colorado? Yeah, I, you know, I think my parents definitely were a, a huge influence on me. And I think, you know, growing up in West Virginia, the, as Bob Huggins always says, you know, people in West Virginia work, work hard and, you know, they, they earn it. And I feel like that's the way I was brought up. And when I went into WVU, you know, you can get as good of an education in West Virginia as you want to. It's all up to you to basically decide to do it or not. So I think, uh, you know, I did what it was necessary and you know, I think I was a, a reasonably good student, but West Virginia certainly prepared me for you know, my career and, and life, uh, life beyond school for sure. I mentioned uh, I mentioned at the start of our of our conversation today that I met you uh, when I was at the at the beach party, which is this awesome awesome event that the Rocky Mountain chapter puts on, and and uh, basically it's it's a bunch of mountaineers coming together to uh, to hang out, eat, and and go skiing uh, at a basin for for a day. That's usually uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's usually in in April or kind of late spring that's right yep um so how has how has the rocky mountain chapter and and the group of mountaineers that you found in colorado really helped you um or or played a role in your in your life oh sure yeah so i certainly always uh you know watch any mountaineer event that i can on tv and and uh, a friend of mine uh, that is uh, from Glendale actually lives in Colorado. He's been here for over 20 years. That's an uh, aerospace engineer, graduate from West Virginia. I met when I moved here, and um, he indicated that I should come out and check out a, an alumni game watch for the uh, one of the football games coming up. So decided to join him, and it was great. There was, uh, I think, maybe only 15 people with that, um, but... <laughs> It was uh, Bill Gray, you know, he started this uh, Rocky Mountain chapter in 1997, if my memory is correct. And, you know, as mentioned, there really weren't a ton of people at the early game watches that I remember going to. But now, you know, 20 years later, 22 years later, there's for basketball, big basketball games for the NCAA tournament or big football games. You can expect to see up to 200 people at these game watches now. So... Bill did a tremendous job with uh, really getting it set up. And, you know, Mountaineer fans are very passionate, so they tended to get on board pretty quickly once the, once it started to gain some steam. You guys probably had at least 100 people at the beach party, and then there were a bunch of folks at, at the Gnome, too. There's this awesome, awesome brewery and restaurant uh, just kind of in, in just outside of Denver that is – uh, alumni owned and operated and it's definitely a, a WVU uh, venue through and through. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a great place to watch, uh, watch the games now and be, be together with uh, like-minded West Virginians. And uh, yeah, Danny Apple started that, um, that uh, grateful gnome uh, restaurant and bar and it's, it's been great. It's been a couple of years now and uh, I think he's got a good thing going there. Um, yeah, nice not to have to share our bar with other uh, colleges. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, we had a, we had a great time. I had a great sandwich while I was there. So I can't, I can't yeah. say enough 
about the hospitality of the Grateful Gnome and uh, and the Rocky Mountain chapter, and and uh, maybe a maybe a shameless plug, but I always. I always like to remind folks that we have the alumni association has chapters literally all over the country, and so there are probably there are there's probably a local Grateful Gnome and Rocky Mountain chapter near you that uh, has a home of mountaineers that are that are waiting to to share some of these experiences with. But um, Eric, I'm, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really appreciate uh, you spending you spending the evening with me and, and having some conversations and hopefully inspiring people to go out and, and climb a few of the 14ers or, or maybe some of the, the mountains in West Virginia, wherever they may be. So I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for, for being a guest on our podcast. Oh, my pleasure. And, um, I did want to add one thing that I was hoping to uh, uh, get into the podcast and the, the fact of, you know, like I mentioned, being a proud uh, alum in West Virginia, and, uh, I actually carried the flying WV flag all the way to the top of every single one of those uh, 14ers. So it's definitely a lot of pride in that. And, uh, and uh, several people really su supported that. And even non-alums would, would hold the flag up, uh, you know, to show their support for me and, so I, I I wanted to represent the state and and uh, show that uh, you know we go out there and do some pretty cool stuff. That is awesome. Well, it was great talking to you, and I hope uh, hope to do it again soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Andrew again, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Aircheck. If you enjoyed my conversation with Eric, please make sure you stay up to date as we release new podcasts on the WVU Alumni app. And as always, you can head to our website, alumni.wvu.edu, for more information. Thanks for listening.